How long would it take you to dig a 10-foot hole? I know it's an odd question, but these are odd times. Now, you can use whatever tools are at your disposal. You can use your hands or a shovel or, heck, if you got a brother or cousin with access to a backhoe, then by all means, use it. It'd probably take you the better part of a day, right, given the resources that you probably have readily available. Now, if you had a thermonuclear device, billions of dollars, and a team of government scientists, you probably could create a 320-foot hole in a matter of minutes, like the Sedan Crater in Nevada. If you have access to a major United States waterway, miles of land in 6 million years, you could create a mile-deep hole visible from space, like the Grand Canyon. There are clearly a variety of ways you can dig a hole, and just like in B2B SaaS, there are different goals that we can achieve. Is the goal of your company exploratory in nature? Then you're probably thinking along the lines of folks who've made the sedan crater. Is the goal of your company to grow slow and steadily, eventually turning into a modern marvel? Then you're probably looking for the tools it takes to make the Grand Canyon. And no one understands the Grand Canyon strategy than my good friend Emmerich Ernault, founder and CEO of Agora Pulse. He is a serial startup founder who, despite not always having the fanciest tools or abundance of resources, has used grit and determination to chip away at founder success. His knowledge is not one to shy away from, and all that and more is coming up next. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Emmerich Ernault discusses business development. We talk about knowing when to stop failing, the freedom granted by bootstrapping, being realistic about risk, and the Buddhism of work-life balance. So I'm Emmerich Ernou. I'm French, and I've been an entrepreneur for 19 years, uh, 12 of which were a complete failure, or complete failures, because several of them. I like to do, you know, to fail several times, you know, you don't, that, so if you, at first you, know, you don't succeed, so you yeah, so yeah. you really feel you really feel what it how it feels. And the latest project, uh, Gora Pulse, is a social media management software, and hopefully it's less of a failure now. So well, we'll get into that in a second. But did you did you always know you wanted to do this? Why aren't you like a firefighter or a doctor or something like that versus what? you know being an entrepreneur? Well, I used to be a business lawyer and doing M and A. They didn't let you wear as many of your scarves. Is that why you quit that? Yeah, or yeah, what that's happened? That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, I was I, I was much better dressed at the time. I had you know handcuffs, no cuffs on my on my shirts and stuff that kind of stuff and you know three pieces suits yeah. and big difference yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the daughter of my neighbor thinks I look like a teenager when I take my <laughs> kid to school in the morning yeah. uh, at least I dress like one and it was a very interesting job but it's a very technical job it's super challenging on the yeah. technical side and it gets to a level of technicity that's a bit boring and I found myself being interested but not passionate about my job and so I started to think about what else what do I want and I obviously didn't like having a boss unless my boss was super cool and there are not too many of them especially in the legal profession and so I started you hear to hear that about, lawyers you're not fun <laughs> no I'm just kidding no, most of them are not. I was one of the rare fun guys at the, at the law firm at the time. Well, they liked me for that. And I started to think about what, what do I want to do? You know, do I want to create my own law firm, which is basically having all the problems and downside of being an entrepreneur, HR issues, you know, billing issues, getting the money in, finding the clients. It's all the stuff, the hard stuff you have to do as an entrepreneur, you have to do as a, as a lawyer creating your own firm. Or did, did I want to do something completely different? And that's where I say, okay, let's do something completely different. Little did I know it, was, it would be so hard 
Because if, if I had known at the time, trust me, I would have never done it. I didn't know, so I yeah. went for it. And so I, it basically was, hey, I don't want to do what I'm doing. This whole being my own boss thing seems like a good idea. And that was just the emotional precipice between those two things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and when you're in a service business, you are very conscious that if you're sick, there's no money coming in. If you take a vacation, there's no money coming in. If you have any problem whatsoever, and basically you are the asset. You are the, uh, the producing asset. And if you retire, there's nothing left to sell or like you're not building something that can leave without you and that you can monetize to get some freedom. Like freedom is not service business doesn't equal freedom. It equals the opposite of freedom. And you realize that pretty soon when you're, you know, you work at any con big five consulting companies or, or lawyers, accounting, accounting, whatever. And once you realize that, you are very well attracted to building a product because products equal freedom. The product is not you. You're not selling you. You're selling something else. And other people can help you build it. And eventually, other people can build it without you or with you doing, you know, overseeing how they do it. So it feels like it's a lot more freedom. Well, the truth is very different, as we know. <laughs> the truth is you're still not free, but... But you feel free. But you feel and that's free. all that really matters, right? You feel you could if you wanted to, which which is already a level of freedom. When you think about, so those, so 19 years, those first 12 were failures. Were they failures because it was the service business that you didn't want to do moved on or were you actually trying to build products no, no we were trying to build products yeah, okay yeah yeah what were the products the product was in 2000 launched in france and in french it was basically the basis of what became facebook four years later in boston so social it was a social network and it was a social network based on people's real identity which in 2000 was very unique very and different and disruptive almost right yeah. what you're not going to use some kind of fake id to be online and interact with other people so that's what that's what the premise like you know social networks should be for real relationship between real people and they should name who they are and you know with their families and buddies and alumni and ex-colleagues and stuff so obviously wrong timing wrong country wrong everything and as you know timing is quite important and wrong executions so i'm you know my friends who know very little about SaaS keep telling me oh you invented facebook before facebook and i keep telling them no 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 not really it looks like this but it's not like that so. i have plenty of friends who invented facebook yeah before of facebook course me too, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's interesting and what what else was there and, and did that shut down because it no just we never didn't got shut off it down we or? pivoted to a b2b play so we pivoted to let's sell that technology to b2b buyers who wants to build their own social networks got it so that was before ning do you remember yeah ning? i remember ning yeah, 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 yeah mark yeah. andreessen yeah so i was you know mark andreessen is a smart guy but i had the same idea before him yeah yeah, yeah. um he failed i failed yeah so at least seems i'm like as, this as idea, dumb as mark andreessen yeah, which is a good it seems like this idea thing isn't good the, isn't the thing yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cool so when did agora pulse come come into play Oh, so that we had that B2B play. So we were selling that. And it's, we were actually in a very bad spot where you do you have some business, but it's not great. And it, it's hard to kill because it's still alive. It's still alive. I can't kill it. <laughs> you should kill it, but you don't want to kill it because you're still making a little bit of money. And maybe next year you will work. But so you, you're, you nurture that mirage of yours. Maybe you will become successful at some point with that product that will never be successful whatsoever. But yeah, when when to stop a failing business? That's a great question. Yeah. I have I don't have the answer. Yeah. So what happened in 2008? Um, and I had a side job because it was not paying me; it was paying my co-founder barely, and and the servers barely. In 2008, I don't know. I think it was 140,000 euro a year of revenue after four years. Like, think about this. 
I'm making more than that in a week right now. So not me, the business. Yeah, I got you. No uh, and we saw Facebook becoming big because the fan pages launched in 2009 or something. And we thought, okay, people are going to get it now. Those businesses are going to understand the value of building their own social networks. So I went full speed ahead, full steam ahead, trying to sell that. It was, the name was Affinity. So I, I, I was trying to sell that to banks, insurance, you know, big, large businesses. And they all told me, yeah, nice, but I just want to go on Facebook and seize what's there. I don't want to build my own stuff. So after a year of that, we said, it's, it's not going to work. They do get social media, but not our thing. They get the thing of the other guys. Let's go surf with the other guys. So like Facebook is a big fat blue wave. It's going to crush us or, or we surf it. So we decided to surf it. And the first version of Agora Pulse was mostly apps that you build on top of Facebook and Facebook pages. And, and then the rest is history. Like, you know. The whole 19 years, same co-founder, same, same, same co-founder. Team. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you yeah. got, this is not like, oh, I tried this. I failed, found a I, new team. I love to there. say that my ex-wife didn't last that long. Your ex-wife <laughs> didn't last that long. Okay. <laughs> my co-founder is much more patient than she was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> I got you. And if we go into like your origin story, like grew up in Paris, where in, where in front? No, you grew up in Nigeria, right? I grew up, so I was born in New York. Okay. Because my parents used to live in New York. And then I moved to Nigeria for, I was six months old when I moved to Nigeria. And we stayed there for two, two years, a little oh, bit more so than two long. years. Yeah, so yeah. that's where I learned English as my first language, Nigerian English, but still. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then moved to Senegal until I was six, then moved back to France and uh, moved to Washington, D.C. when I was 23, yeah. my first job. Your parents work in government or something uh, like no, that? No, they, they, they were working for company that were expo- French company that were okay. exporting to Africa for a long oh, time. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and my first job in, in, in D.C. was uh, with the French embassy and then with a law firm there. And then that law firm brought me back to Paris to start to open their Paris office. And when you think about, you know, you recently raised money, right? Like yeah. about six months ago? Yeah, yeah. Uh, tell, yeah. Us, tell us a little months. about that because you were bootstrapped basically all the way up until that point. And then not a small amount of money, 16 million euros or dollars, yeah. depending on how you look at it. Euros. Euros. Real, real currency. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, the real currency. Okay. <laughs> Let's hashtag Brexit or something in here. 16 million euros. Like what went into that decision? Tell us about that. Like, you know, I guess why is the, the core yeah. question. So yeah, we almost bootstrapped from zero to 10 million AR. Uh, which we reached, by the way, a couple of weeks ago. Yep, it was all over your Facebook. It was all over my Facebook, yeah. my LinkedIn. Like there, there are very little things I brag about, but when we pass the big milestones, I, I like to brag. You know, I have an ego like everybody else. And uh, we got uh, business angels, so we got three hundred thousand of funding. So it, you know, bootstrap. A lot of people say they're bootstrap. I'm not going to give names. And when you start digging, they actually raise a million from two business angels or whatever. So like we we got three hundred thousand euros of money to 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 get the business off the ground, and we got to ten million without any invest uh, outside investment. Apart from those uh, early early um, uh, business angels and seeds. Why did we raise 16 million? It's a great question. First of all, we are not bootstrapped by religion. I am not Jason Fried. I don't think that you should go this way or that way. I think that you should think about what is the right way for you now 
and go with that. It's not a you know, choosing to get investors or not getting investors is is shouldn't be a matter of principle. It should be a matter of opportunity. Is it the right opportunity for me? Should I take it or not take it? For many years, we tried to raise money because Ben and I, we were paying ourselves this and now wife was paying for everything, the rent, the food and the vacation. It's cool for a while, but then it becomes annoying and you want to get money. So we were trying to get a little bit of more, more money to get more comfort and, you know, two more developers and, uh, you know, go a little bit faster. But we could never raise any money because nobody trusted we could make it. We eventually did, but it was very hard to see at the time. We were never bootstrapped because it was a choice and we're like, yeah, bootstrapped is better. We were bootstrapped because we had no choice. But it, it was actually a blessing because when you're in that position, you don't have any money you can waste. You, you cannot make any bad decisions. You cannot go into, hey, let's spend 100,000 on Google AdWords and see if it works, which is something we did when we had more money because my CMO was pushing for it, even though I was not for it. And we wasted 100,000 on AdWords to just confirm it doesn't work. <laughs> so when you don't have the money, you can't do that kind of, you can't make that kind of decision. You, 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 you're forced to make smart decisions, basically, or test everything before you, you invest more time and more money into it. So I think that was a blessing. That was a good thing. Even though it was difficult on a personal level, it was a good thing for the business and for finding our growth channels and our way to get where we got. Then a business banker came to see us and said, it was nine months ago, I said, you have to sell the company. Now is the time. The market is plenty of money and the valuation are crazy high. Go sell the company. And then we thought about it and we said, no, we, we don't want to sell the business. We've, we've gone through all these crazy hard years and now we're having fun. Because, because we're paying ourselves decent salary, we're taking vacation, we're, we're learning a lot, so why would we get rid of that now? And on that front, I agree with Jason Fried. If you have a good business, why sell it? But a lot of my mentors told me, you, you, that's a great, that's, you're right, do that, but take money off the table a little bit and, and, and don't think about raising money as the, the only goal is to put money in the company, but you can also you know, change the cap table, and you can do other stuff with raising money. So the main drive for us, obviously there was some money going into the company, but there was also significant amount of money that went to take our BAs out, which, which is the right thing to do, right? You got BAs, they helped you, they supported you for years, give them an exit. Give them something good, nice. It's your role as a founder to give them some money and, and reward them. And give yourself something as well, uh, which I think now that, I, that it's done, I think that was a great idea. Because now we feel like now that we've de-risked some of it, we feel like we can take more risk again. When everything is invested in the shares, in the stock, if you have to take a bold decision, how are you going to take it? Like, oh my God, I'm risking everything I have. You took some cash out, you de-risked. Would you have done that earlier? Maybe you wouldn't have added the opportunity, but is there is there a point like because because it, it's something I struggle with, right? Because people like we we looked into raising money earlier this year, just very very mildly, and we were like, no, I don't know, because we're you know we're bootstrapped, we're real bootstrapped. I know, you know my four hundred one k, so I guess that sort of counts. Uh, but <laughs> my twenty fourteen thousand dollars when I was twenty five that I lived on in Boston for nine months. Uh, yeah. But when you think about like the secondary aspect, it's it's one of those things where does it feel like almost admitting defeat at some point? Because you're like, oh, well, I'm getting this exit, presumably earlier, mm. where all of a sudden, like, it's not the $100 million exit or the going public or those types of things. And I know that's not realistic. I know I'm illogical in that thinking. Mm. But did you have any emotions like that? Or did you just reach the point where you're like, no, this is, we've been doing this for 19 years and we've produced this much value. It's time to, to de-risk the business. I didn't come up with the idea. My mentors and my business angels. Okay. 
So your coach gave me the idea. Really yeah, my coach told me yeah. not to think that way. You should think that way. Like you have life insurance, you have health insurance, you have whatever insurance. Consider that asset insurance. And I said, ah, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I, I can relate to that. I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to say anything new or, or disruptive, but money doesn't change. You have money on your bank account, and now so what? You know, my life is exactly the same. I go to the same office in the morning. I still have the same car. I go to the same vacation. I have the same wife, the same kid, the same friends. Like, it didn't change anything, but it, it did change my approach to risk and risk-taking. And it, it also boosted me to, you know, like, hey, let's go. What's the next step? Oh, big can the next step be? And I think that is what that money give you. And also, you know, new partners who are challenging you, who are expecting from you. My old BAs, they were already super happy with yeah. what we've done with their money. Like, they were already in paradise. Emmerich, you know, they did 15x or 20x. And they knew that we took them there. So there was no more challenging us. Yeah. Uh, now, we have, now we have people challenging us. And I think as a CEO and as a founder, if you let yourself too long in the comfort zone and say, yeah, I'm good. I'm the 10 million AR. Yeah, we're good. We're fine. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're growing 60% last year, huh, what could happen to us? It could be dangerous. <laughs> so I like to be pushed. Yeah. I, I like that people are looking at me and say, we expect big from you. We expect yeah. high from you, you know. Yeah, uh, the bar has been raised, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Would you have done this earlier if now that you've gone through the process? I think it was the perfect time. Perfect time. We had, you know, getting close to 10 million yeah. is, is a milestone for investors and for the market. If you're still growing at 50, 60% at 10 million, that's things telling something to investors in the market. So the level of trust is much higher. The valuation is probably better as well. So I think it really was the perfect timing. We tried to raise money in, in, in 2016. That was three years before. Yeah, three years before. A little less because it was November when we finally didn't do it. And the valuation was 10 times less. And that was three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it could have been earlier, but I don't. I think we would have had a much worse deal. Changing the the tack here, what's something that you struggled with in your career that you overcame, and you know how did you overcome it? Something I struggled. Struggled with, yeah. And I don't struggle anymore because I still struggle with yeah, a lot of I things. Know, right? I know, I know, I uh, know. Like, yeah, personally, professionally, what's something like you worked on, and maybe you're not 100%, you know, over it, but like, what's something that you know you had to work on that that you've improved on? Empowering your people and your team, and not feel like you have to be everywhere to make sure it's going to work. Because when you've gone through what we've gone through and you've built all that with your bare hands, you, you, you tend to have that feeling that you're going to take care of things. <laughs> Whatever happens, you're going to make it work, which doesn't scale very well. Uh, so I'm obviously getting much better and better and better, but still have a lot to yeah. solve and fix there. How did you get better at that? First, by having great people around you, you can tr you, you build trust with, so little by little you trust them. And by putting a framework of goals and things that you expect from them that you don't have to tell them all the time because they know and they get back to you to tell you if they achieved or didn't achieve. And so you basically having a framework where they auto control themselves and when it's not working, you know, and you don't have, you don't have to go and check everything all the time, but it's still, it's still a work in progress. And, and it is a challenge because you've, you know, you've been through that period where you were doing everything. I did sales, support, content, marketing, Facebook ads, <laughs> all of that. So hiring, like all that stuff. And, and, and you, 
it, it, you have to let go and you have to let other people do it. And it's not easy because they're usually doing it differently and by the, you have to teach them how you did it because apparently it did work. So maybe it's good for them to learn how you did it. And that takes time and if you don't do it, then they do it their way and you look at, you, you look at it, no, 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 don't do it this way. And then so it, it's not a, it's an up and down path until it stabilizes and things go right. And the other thing is, you know, work-life balance. It's... <laughs> what? <laughs> what, what? Work? What? <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it's the hardest thing. I keep hearing. Do you believe in work-life balance? Like, I, I know it's a little I semantic, do it's, but do you it's believe an it? Aim. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, it's like Buddhism. You know, you, you're you're never perfect. You never reach nirvana, but you always keep going for it. Yeah. You have to be self-aware of yeah. where you are. Uh, but doesn't or, that imply like the compartmentalization of work and life? Like, and I feel like you're uh, like emblematic of work and life kind of blend a little bit, right? Yeah, you know, it, it right? does blend. Yeah. It does blend. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more than what you do. Yeah. It's who you are. And, and by saying that, I realize how bad this is in a way, but this is what it is. You know, I'm 47. I'm not going to change that anymore. I tried. You're 47? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Look I, how young he is. He's 47. Can we give a round of applause for Emmerich <laughs> being 47? No. You're... Doesn't, I can't. Doesn't, I don't believe any you. Of You're like a Dorian Gray situation going on here. Just, yeah, just, yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is something. I mean, you should have leverage on that and, and be yeah. more. You know, like I, I was having dinner with my friend and coach Dan Martel last night, and his wife created something for entrepreneurs and family and helping them reconnect and be present for their kids. And I'm the worst at being present for my kids. When I'm doing Lego stuff with him, I'm thinking about my next meeting and my all the time. And then I don't know how to fight that. So work-life balance is a challenge. A huge shout out to Emmerich for doing the podcast. Really, really appreciate you, sir. Now you have a better understanding of business development. Today, we talked about knowing when to stop failing, the freedom granted by bootstrapping, being realistic about risk, and the Buddhism of work-life balance. Oh, and if you want to support the show and ProfitWell in general, we would greatly appreciate it if you left a five-star review of the podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. The podcast gods tend to like that type of thing, and we like to appease the podcast gods. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest-growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. 